like the flow through the door has slowed a bit. I think everybody is here who wanted to be here. Let's go ahead and get things started. Welcome once again to the Tuesdays at 2 presentation with your Master Executive Council. I know Eric's here. He's got lots to say. Before that happens, though, let me tell you, just so you're aware, these sessions are recorded. And we do record them to make them available later on our YouTube channel and our podcast server. We try to get those up as soon as we possibly can afterwards, after this presentation. Please understand, though, that it does take a little bit of time for them to get edited and, and make its way through legal to make sure everything's okay before we release them to the greater public. Also, wanted to you know let you know it's being recorded so that you understand this is a public forum. Let's try to keep things professional. I know you all are a fantastic professional group of pilots and uh, don't expect anything less from you whatsoever. But uh, let's let's keep it that way. If you feel the need to rant or you're really upset about something, please, please feel free to call one of us individually. Eric, Will, myself, we're always available. Phone, email, you name it. But uh, in this context, questions are more than welcome. But uh, please, let's let's keep that professional level for the public. With that being said, I see Eric's got some good slides. I know he's got lots to go through, so I'm going to turn it over to Eric. Take us away, please. Uh, hey, Kevin, thank you. Um, yeah, uh, here in the office with Kitch this afternoon, I want to thank you all for joining us. Um, I think Kevin covered uh, most of this stuff. I'm going to work through the slide deck fairly expeditiously and try to get to some Q&A today. Um, I, this message, we've been carrying this one for several weeks, and I, I just have to say uh, just loud and clear, um, as the relationship deteriorates and I'm seeing more and more uh, aggressive behavior uh, towards um, towards our pilot group, right, in terms of the labor policy and the choices that are being made, uh, training is having a difficult time, uh, safety is cut back to the bone, um, and we're seeing issues on uh, many fronts starting to emerge well outside of uh, kind of the, the scheduling issues that we were seeing uh, some time ago. There's clearly some um, decisions being made in this company about uh, labor policy that are adversely affecting this pilot group, and it's, it's intentional to create uh, conflict and um, instability, right? Um, just uh, really unfortunate to see those choices being made. We're seeing erosion in healthcare. We're seeing erosion in uh, 117, following just basic 117 rules, right? Interpretations of 117 that are uh, not in line with the FAA. Um, it's a difficult situation and uh, just make sure that you don't put your career at risk to make this place work, right? Um, slow down, be careful. There's a lot, a lot of instability and a lot of risks and don't go out on a limb with your career and your certificates. Uh, you know, don't cut the corner and, and get caught because you felt an obligation to make things move faster 
or plug the hole that uh, was being left, right? Um, come to work, be standard, do a good job, relax and know that we're going to fight the fight, right? And as you start to see more and more instability in the entire ultra-low-cost carrier segment, right, um, know that we are different. Uh, yes, there, there's going to be, you know, rocky times, um, but um, we'll do everything that we can to uh, continue to forward the needs of this pilot, right? So <clears throat> we're seeing a lot of the divide and conquer strategy, right? Who's the target in that? You're the target. Right. Um, uh, everything that we're doing to try to create solidarity and um, transparency and consensus is all about uh, making sure that this pilot group knows what we're doing and that we're moving in the direction that uh, that you want us to be moving and that the things that we're doing are actually, uh, you know, helping to improve your life. Right. So uh, just know that that's that's our goal. Right. Even though. Um, a lot of times, right, there's um, competing interest, right? The, the interest of the junior is not necessarily the interest of the senior. Uh, the interest of, um, uh, you know, a commuter is not the same as the interest of a local. Those are realities, right? But those are the realities that we signed up to deal with. We're well aware of that. Uh, and just know that we are going to work to achieve the best for all pilots. Um, and that uh, when we say... Uh, Miami C speaks for me, right? Uh, this is what management needs to be hearing when they're probing around uh, trying to find ways to create wedges, right? All right, so today um, I've got some news. Uh, then we're going to get into uh, just a little bit of a review on the tap coding that we did last week. Uh, I want to talk about monthly vacation period changes, right? So these are like mutual trades of vacations or trades of vacation with open vacation. Um, there's uh, There's been, I'd say, quite a bit of awareness in the pilot group all of a sudden out of nowhere, uh, filed a bunch of grievances on this stuff. Uh, I want to just review the language with everyone so they know what you're supposed to get and what we're not getting. Um, and I want to talk a little bit about long-term disability. There's a significant change here from the practice of many, many years. Um, I just want to read the language, let you guys know what's out there. Uh, we've you know, definitely found a couple of pilots kind of wandering out in the weeds, not knowing who to talk to, and they have benefits that have been negotiated for them. Um, you know, having a difficult time getting a response out of the company and uh, talking to MetLife isn't getting where they need to be. And all of a sudden, we now have um, uh, the company uh, making choices about long-term disability coverage that uh, are not in line with what the contract says. Um, and uh, almost, almost daily for the last 10, 12 days, I've been getting calls from guys on long-term disability saying that the company has, uh, or MetLife has, um, in this case, it, it's the company. Um, through their vendor, uh, mitigating their costs and choosing to do something that isn't uh, contractual, uh, which is going to cause direct harm to this pilot group. And it's hurting the, the weakest people in this pilot group, right, who are um, unhealthy, uh, right, have disabilities, um, you know, the things of life that happen. And there's a safety net there. That's, that rug is getting 
pulled out from underneath one that's completely unacceptable. Um, all right, so we got about 30 slides to go through, and then we'll get into Q&A. Uh, so you guys saw the comm come out yesterday. Uh, survey is underway, right? Um, this is incredibly important that there's, there's really wide participation here, right? And this gets right to the heart of the competing interests and the divisive nature of the divide and conquer strategy, right? Um, we need to know where the pilot group is at, right? And the rest of the pilot group needs to know where the pilot group is at. Uh, the only way that this works is with really wide participation. Treat this as if it's a, a section section six bargaining process, and uh, you know the whole contract is open. And we got to get your opinions, right? Um, yes, it is a little bit more narrow. Yes, it is a little bit more targeted, um, but it, we really do need to hear from the entire pilot group. If we saw you know data from from 600, 700 pilots, uh, we would be in a really really good place as a pilot group. This is your chance to have your voice heard, right? Um, in addition to all the regular stuff, dark, callless, Q&A on, on these calls, right? Where there's a lot of avenues to get in touch. Um, but we're asking for some data on some really specific points so that we can go tell the pilot group, uh, or tell the company what the pilot group wants, right? And this gives um, not just the MEC, but the negotiating committee, really it's a negotiating committee survey, right? Um, and it gives them the objectives that they need to shoot for. Likewise, um, we need, right, uh, as an MEC and the negotiating committee needs to have a little bit of grace here to let them work their strategy, right? Um, this is a really difficult uh, construct for negotiations because there is a, an arbitrated backstop uh, at the end of uh, midterms. And uh, it's just really important that uh, we start to learn culturally as a pilot group what's bad for us and, and, and undercuts us, right? Uh, so having negotiating conversations in public on Facebook uh, is a great way to undercut yourself and make sure that you don't get what you want and have just a couple of voices uh, speaking to management. Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're there. They're reading your Facebook site. And they're well aware when, you know, someone throws a mortar over the wall uh, and either, you know, uh, takes a pot shot at the negotiating committee, the, uh, the MEC, those things are, um, they're really happy to see those things, right? So uh, careful what you do out there. Uh, crew meal reimbursement denials. Um, we made some good headway here, right? We were uh, pushing about a thousand of these in backlog and some 400 just since the beginning of uh, October. Uh, that large backlog has, for the most part, been processed or at least um, saw some decision making that happened. That's supposed to be a joint process. The company has cut us out of the, the positives, right, which is to uh, obscure how many issues there actually are uh, and what the nature of those issues are. And they're certainly not creating the um, data-driven feedback loops that are supposed to improve the delivery process, right? Um, they're just, uh, they're not really using that stuff to improve the process. And that's what we're supposed to be seeing uh, as a joint process to say, yes, that's approved or not approved, right? So um, just a reminder, there is no dollar limit on the reimbursement. Make sure that the stuff that is getting reimbursed is uh, you know valid stopping by the liquor store on your way home. Um, which actually happens, and we tried to reimburse for that. 
um, it is not a legitimate use of this. It, uh, it gets pointed at as uh, a way to undermine that settlement and for people in management to say, listen, you know, yeah, we signed up for this settlement. We're obligated to the settlement, but look at this pilot's behavior here, right? Um, so make sure that what you're you're asking for in, in terms of reimbursement is truly a, a valid request and that it uh, uh, is because you didn't get food or the food wasn't edible or uh, in some way, um, you know, you weren't, you weren't able to eat that food, right? Um, and that it had something to do with the operation. So, uh, all right. Hey, if you're seeing that food is inedible, right, um, show the food, right? Or uh, it's really hard to kind of make the claim that the, the wrapped up food is inedible, um, even though you know it's the same sandwich, right, because the variety is not good. Uh, we're still having issues there uh, with variety, offline deadheads, and Amazon cold meals. Um, had a meeting this morning with legal, uh, and I think you'll see some follow-up in the way of uh, future grievances and then evaluating whether, uh, because of the, the sheer number right, of continued crew mail issues, whether we return to the arbitrator who does maintain jurisdiction over that settlement. Uh, it might be time for that because there's simply uh, not a lot of progress being made towards a solution. Uh, we did hear back from the company on a COVID LOA. Uh, so the MEC um, has been working to uh, re-up a COVID LOA because uh, with the CDC's end of the pandemic declaration, and you know, great, glad to see that process, right? Um, the original COVID LOA protections ended there. Uh, there are significant upticks in the number of COVID uh, cases out there. Please be careful. Uh, we're seeing them here at Sun Country. I know my wife is in uh, you know Minneapolis Public Schools. Uh, they're having a difficult time just staying in operation in some of those schools. Um, it, not a political issue, right? Uh, our concern is our jobs and our our work here as an MEC is to protect your job, right? Uh, pay work rules and benefits. And um, what we're seeing is uh, guys feel pressure to come to work. Uh, and not quarantine, um, they're coming to work with uh, positive tests, right? Uh, because they don't have the sick accrual that they need and their sick bank's going to get wiped out or they're going to drop a you know a five-day trip worth $15,000, right? So there's a lot of pressure to go, go to work and complete that trip. Uh, please be mindful of the operation, right? Uh, that's why we pushed uh, this COVID out of the way across to the company was to say, hey, we're concerned going into the holiday season with the highest earnings months of the year that uh, we maintain operational integrity um, for our careers, right? This management team will come and go. Uh, most of us are going to be here for a long, long time, and we need to make sure they don't uh, anger our passengers, right? Uh, our passengers are who pays the bills. And uh, so if you're sick, please call in sick. If you're positive, call in sick. Um, do what you need to do to maintain the the operational integrity, so that uh, you know we continue all that jobs. Uh, the company has refused that LOA. Um, simply, uh, they see it as the flu and the vaccine as a viable option to um, uh, not transmit or uh, catch COVID. Right, so um, that is. Uh, Probably not the right path. Um, it certainly doesn't support our employees. 
And it's uh, it's really disappointing from that aspect because, um, you know, like I said, uh, uh, operational integrity is important going into this holiday season. Um, Pre-bid LOAs, long trip LOA, right? Um, the company has agreed to meet. Um, they are indicating that they will not uh, make any movement uh, towards any other constructs or uh, experimental ideas or uh, other ways of working other than was originally agreed to in that long trip LOA. The issue there, right, is that the company views that LOA as temporary until the implementation of PBS, and then they end it. Right. Um, we support a permanent solution with a pre-bid. Uh, that permanent solution, I think, does a few things that um, weren't necessarily part of the initial discussion, say, back uh, you know, almost two years ago now. But um, uh, when we put that long trip LOA in place, right, some of the goals there were to attract uh, commuter, uh, sorry, uh, attract commuter pilots, attract cargo pilots, right? Because cargo pilots work in a world with long trips um, and are generally discontent with their management, uh, pretty abusive cultures. Um, we're seeing that right at ATI, ATSG, those properties are having a really, really difficult time. Um, we wanted to give those guys a place to land and attract some experienced pilots to come into this operation so we could realize the kind of growth uh, the company was looking to uh, to realize by making the contract improvements that they made. Um, along with that, the company was looking for operational integrity uh, in their Amazon operation, right? They were having a difficult time uh, getting people into position um, because they were running Amazon with four-day trips and uh, with offline deadheads on American Delta United that were basically enrolling cancellation, right? So um, some of the needs, I think, from both sides have changed a little bit, right? Uh, I think the 12-day the construct, while it's, it's helpful to some people, didn't really get to the commuter, right? And so what we'd like to see is some movement there to include trips that are longer than, say, five days in length, right? Um, so, you know, eight-day trips and 10-day trips, right? No reason not to do some of that stuff. Uh, increase some of the credit in that bid from the, the 83 hours that uh, we originally put in there. And, um, you know, give the commuters some more accessible options by uh, decreasing the cost, right? Some of the cost that's in, involved in creating those long trips um, is incurred because it is cargo only and it's particularly inefficient. And if you're putting some of the passenger operation into uh, a pre-bid, Right. That allows uh, basically for as many trips to be constructed as can be bid out. Right. And we're already bidding out five and six day trips in the in the short bid. And so conceivably, if you put them into a pre-bid, they really cost nothing more uh, at all to put into a, a pre-bid uh, than what they do in a short bid. Right. So you can have as much of that stuff as you want and the commuter satisfaction gets much higher. And it has the you know ancillary uh, byproduct of the shorter bid being concentrated down into mostly four or less, right? So uh, the locals are happy, the commuters are happy, and hopefully people start to see that it's safe to get in the water and upgrade, right? So um, 
you know, people are looking for flexibility in schedules, right? That is the desire to work in the way that they want to work. Um, and we need to try to meet that satisfaction. And we asked a lot of questions about that in the survey. So please go in and take the survey uh, so we can show the data to management and say, hey, this is what this pilot group wants, right? Uh, we do believe there's an upgrade solution in there. Um, we're asking about that in the survey too. So, um, you know, help us out here and give us the data to go have the conversations. Um, November arbitration. So we got an arbitration coming up next week, I think the 8th and the 9th. Uh, that arbitration is centered on uh, these two provisions, 25I4, the order of assignment and 25M6C, first out, last out uh, language for our reserve assignments. Um, what occurred here, right, is that pilots were assigned trips longer than the number of reserve days remaining. So they'd have like, you know, three days of remaining reserve and be assigned a four-day trip, right? Like how, does, how does that happen? Um, it's a clear violation. Uh, you know, as soon as you get off the the rails with that kind of violation and get outside of the contractual bounds is run into a, a slew of other violations that are, you know, a byproduct. But um, truly what happened here, right? Uh, you're supposed to be assigned as a reserve uh, to, um, you know, uh, first out amongst uh, pilots with the same number of days remaining. And it's supposed to match up to the, say, a two-day trip. Uh, is supposed to go to uh, people with two days of work remaining, right? Uh, clearly assigning uh, four days of work and going into someone's days off. It looks a heck of a lot more like a junior assignment, right? Uh, the company, I think, is fairly close to settling on this. I'm seeing some uh, settlement talks going back and forth. Um, and I think what remains is to, you know, unscramble the egg and figure out who would have gotten those trips had uh, the trips been properly assigned, right? So, that's what you do with uh, the grievance process. You try to make people whole for uh, the damage that was done, right? So either restore their um, uh, their time off or their uh, loss of uh, wages that they incurred. Um, and so you try to put them back in the situation they would have been had the violation not occurred. So we're trying to uh, work through that process and um, research those issues and hopefully we'll come to a, an amicable settlement here. Um, all right. Uh, health insurance, just a reminder, open enrollment is now open. And the reason I want to talk about it right, is because there is, uh, unlike you know, previous years, no carryover from last year's elections, right? It used to be uh, that if you had signed up last year and you did nothing, that you could just roll in into the next year with the same thing. Maybe you had to do some elections for uh, oh, maybe um, uh, some FSA accounts or stuff like that. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be the case this year. This year, you need to go in and actively make um, elections, right? And you need to make an election even if you choose not to use the company insurance, right? So you're on your wife's insurance or whatever. Uh, you still need to go in, uh, log in uh, on SYI, and, and um, make those elections, right? So uh, please try to get the word out there. Talk to everybody. Make sure everybody gets their uh, their health insurance uh properly squared away. There's always one or two, right? That just didn't didn't get the message, didn't uh, uh, didn't didn't do the paperwork, and all of a sudden, you know, they have no health insurance. I mean, that's a really tough place to be. 
All right. Um, kind of getting into some of the meat and potatoes here. So we'll get into uh, reviewing a little bit of that tap uh, coating that we talked about last week. Uh, I'm going to move fairly quickly through this. Um, but uh, yeah, so the fact set right here was a, a pilot was scheduled for a five day trip, September 28th to the 2nd. Okay. Um, on day two, they, they had a mechanical, and for the rest of the trip, um, they canceled, right? This guy was not uh, rescheduled to catch back up with his trip or uh, anything along those lines, just simply reassigned to a deadhead back to base on day two. Um, so day three, uh, four, and five uh, then became uh, trip protection, right? Um, and the pilot was released, right? So uh, deadhead back to Minneapolis, released, put on trip protection, and, uh, you know, a whole day goes by, and then he sees a uh, Traverse City turn on day five, right, with a, a tap code. Um, that tap code is, is not correct. That's not the proper way to use a tap code um, and doesn't even point to the right language, and it's uh, it got all kind of squirrely from there, right? So uh, what is a tap, right? You can see the schedule here on the left side. Uh, so, you know, um, they placed this tap on after they had put the trip protection on. So what, what he saw when he got back to Minneapolis, right, uh, was the cancellation back here on uh, um, September, last day of September 31st, I'm guessing. And um, then on the 1st, he had a tap, and the 2nd, he had a tap. And what they did is they rescheduled here, put a, uh, or sorry, they had a trip protection on the 1st and 2nd, put the tap on, um, you know, as some perceived way of, making them contactable, which is not the case, uh, and then tried to go fishing and put a, a Traverse City turn on. Not only is this bad for this guy, right, um, who believes he's off, uh, but this trip here, Traverse City, is now pulled out of open time properly as well, right? So all of the pilot group, every captain on property, loses out on the ability to uh, add that trip at premium bin, and they, they were at like a you know 200% day or something. Um, so they, that, that trip, Traverse City, had it just sat in open time, easily would have been picked up. Uh, but it wasn't in open time because it was sitting on this guy's line improperly. Um, and truly, uh, no way through the order of assignment to get to him because uh, he's not on reserve, right? Um, and they had lost the ability to reschedule him when they released him in domicile uh, and they protected him for the rest of the trip. So the tap. Right, is kind of this uh, time of availability is what they call it. It's an e-crew code. It's not a contractual um, construct. We do have time of availability trips, which are a completely different thing, right? It's like a system reserve trip where you go out on reserve in uh, you know some other location and are paid five hours above guarantee uh, for your reserve time in those locations. Um, that was a big part of the December 21 negotiations. And uh, why they use TAP as a coding here, uh, other than to obscure and confuse, I don't know. But um, what's going on here, right? Uh, so um, he's put on this, this TAP code, uh, really is only supposed to happen under 25K10 uh, prior to the report. And in fact, uh, 11 o'clock the day prior, right? That's, that's where the company can say, um, Hey, that trip you, you know, way back on the 9th of the month, they're looking out at the 20th and they can say, all right, that, that trip on the 20th canceled. Um, you're going to be uh, in this tap code 
And um, that trip canceled the day prior to report prior to 11 o'clock under 25K10. Um, truly, that tap is not reserved. It is completely different from reserve where you have an obligation to call them back, right? So there's no contactable period, no obligation to call them back whatsoever when you're in a tap, whether it's improperly or properly assigned to you. And um, what the pilot's required there to check his schedule uh, between 1500 and 1900 the day prior to report, uh, if he chooses to uh, notify that way, right? But the uh, whole thing is, you know, your, your trip cancels in advance of the report, and the company has some amount of uh, ability to recapture that productivity. Uh, they need to have assigned you flying uh, prior to uh, you checking your schedule at uh, 1500. Uh, you can check it at any time between 1500 and 19. I suggest you do it at 1500. Um, and here's some of that language, right? So 25K10A. If a pilot's available for reassignment, uh, and for this paragraph, available for reassignment, that's really what's, what this is, um, not time of availability or anything. Available for reassignment uh, means a pilot's trip or the first sequential duty periods of a pilot's trip cancel prior to 1100 local domicile time the day prior to the start of the trip, right? Uh, and he's not been reassigned to join his original trip in domicile or via a deadhead. The following shall apply, right? So you got two options, uh, 25K101A, uh, the pilot may choose to be released without pay protection for the canceled flying, provided he advises the company by 1100 uh, on the day prior and crew scheduling is not assigned him any flying, right? So when that trip cancels way back out on the 9th for the 20th, right? And uh, you don't want to be reassigned during that time, uh, give them a call, say, I'm, I'm out. You can keep the pay, and I'm going to enjoy the time off if you want option one. Right? And you can do that all the way back on the 9th, the 10th, the 11th, uh, uh, but prior to them putting some flying on you. Right? All right. Uh, option two, Section 25K10A2, uh, the pilot will contact crew scheduling between 1,500 and 1,900 local domicile time the day prior to the originally scheduled trip or reassignment to a trip during the original trip hour period, right? So one trip, right? They can, uh, you know, take trips and cut them up and paste them together before they assign them and leave them in open time. Um, and then uh, assign that single trip to you. But what they can't do is assign you three day trips uh, over the uh, course of the five days that you were removed from, okay? Um, so, uh, they can reassign you. You have to call in, as I said, between 1500 and 1900 of the day prior, unless between 1500 and 1900, the pilot has conflicts due to flight-related obligations, simulator periods, or is within the uh, required rest period. Uh, in that case, the pilot checked for notifications or contact for scheduling the conclusion of such duty at rest, right? So if you were, you know, doing other work for the company and you couldn't call between 15 and 1900, right, um, you're just going to call when you're done with that duty period. Uh, the company will provide a hotel room if in domicile, if requested by the pilot for the night before the original trip. Um, should the company not have another trip uh, to which they can reassign the pilot at the time of contact, the company shall release the pilot with pay and no further obligation. Um, the pilot will be paid the scheduled value, scheduled credit value of the original trip or the combined pay and credit of the assigned trip, whichever is greater, right? So, uh, option two, basically, you stay on the hook. They have the ability to reassign you um, with some, uh, 
you know, parameters around that. And uh, if they don't have anything to reassign you to, uh, you get paid, right, um, and released. So um, I guess uh, I have another story here to relate, right? So um, a pilot called me up about a week ago, uh, a guy from the negotiating committee that I know fairly well. And uh, he was on a tap, right? They had canceled his trip in advance. He called them up uh, about four o'clock that day uh, prior to the report time for his three-day trip and said, hey, I'm just calling to see if you have anything to reassign me to. And the response from Barrett, the crew scheduler, was, uh, yeah, we don't have anything right now for you, but just kind of, you know, um, you know, maybe check back in later. Right. Um, yeah. OK. Goodbye. Right. Um you have no obligation to check back in later. He's fishing, right? He's trying to see if you know the contract better than he does and um, whether you realize you can go home, not have any more contact and get paid. Or you can sit there and, and you know, check back in every hour, seeing if you can work for free uh, and offset the pay protection. Right? All right. Uh, contract language supporting uh, recent grievance filings. Uh, so this is... Um, uh, this is the vacation period changes I was talking about. Um, this is pretty troubling, right? Like given that the company um, is now uh, well past, you know, implementation of this contract. We're almost uh, two years um, past the signing date of this contract, 20 months, right? And 22 months. And um, what we're seeing right is widespread lack of implementation some of it we're not even seeing and aware of yet uh, in little corners keep popping up where uh, there's issues right um, this is one of those places right and what we're seeing I think is you know uh, Ford and Harrison which is the law firm that uh, most airlines use are testing us out here a little bit uh, creating strategies for other properties. So you're seeing this at Delta now, where Delta's contract closed up and they're not implementing the contract. And the company's response to that lack of implementation is that language that's agreed to wasn't, uh, isn't real until uh, an arbitrator says so, uh, which is um, ridiculous. Uh, it doesn't follow with... Um, know any sort of labor practice under the RLA uh, ever and is you know brazen disregard for uh, labor right um, here's one of those corners right so uh, 7c4a uh, pilots may trade annual vacation periods or half periods within position right so this is to say uh, you can do a mutual trip trade right, um, of your vacation, exactly like you do a mutual trip trade. Uh, your vacation period, I want to I change my vacation period with Kitch. I call Kitch up and say, hey, uh, you want to trade vacation? I really, I can use uh, something different. What do you have? Oh, yeah, I got this. I'd like to trade. All right, so now you have a mutual vacation trade, right? Uh, mutual vacation trades will be granted in real time when submitted via OMS on or before the closing date of the initial bids for the first month in which either affected vacation will occur, right? So, um, you know, I got a June vacation that I want to trade and Kitch has an August vacation that, that I want. Uh, we need to 
trade that before the closing date for the initial bids for June. Um, note how this is done in real time via OMS, right? This is uh, OMS is the operational management system, right? The, the definition of, of OMS is literally ECRU. Um, and as hobbled and disastrous as that system may be, what you own under this contract is real-time processing of your vacation trade electronically, okay? Um, what we saw over uh, the last week is that they're doing this manually, and uh, they're just taking the weekends off, right? So guys are seeing stuff posted uh, in uh, the daily open time email um, and saying, hey, I, I'd like to trade for that putting their trade in, assuming it's still there because it's, you know, real-time processing, right? And it's sitting there through Friday night and Saturday and Sunday, and then Monday comes back, and um, they're processing these in, like, yeah, you know, the time that they were received, you know, in some kind of hobbled, unagreed-to, uh, nonsense manual process, which totally undermines the ability to trade these things, right? Um, what's supposed to happen here is I want to trade my vacation with Kish. We press the button and uh, we trade, right? Um, it gets more insidious when you look at um, the next part of it, which is uh, open periods and trying to get open periods, right? So um, we've, you know, we've gotten a bunch of issue forms here. Uh, we're going to be submitting a grievance on it. It's it's really unfortunate that um, this kind of contract erosion is continues to occur. Uh, it's unacceptable. The pilot group should be incensed. It is absolutely ridiculous. Seven C four B. The company may publish additional open vacation periods at its discretion. Right. Um, open vacation periods will be published and processed in real time with the daily open time system. Okay, um, that is OMS. Um, monthly request to trade with open vacation must be submitted no later than the fifth day prior to publication of the initial bid uh, for the earlier of the month's trade. And awards will be made in real time on a first come, first serve basis. Um, this is one paragraph of the contract, right? Um, just simply 7C4. Uh, a and B work together as one paragraph. Uh, this is all supposed to happen in OMS uh, via eCrew, all supposed to be done real time, right? And uh, truly, uh, one of the uh, issue forms that came up, um, the pilot tried to pick up an open vacation period, assuming that it was open. And by the time that um, that was processed on Monday afternoon, he didn't get it. Why and how, right? There were two vacation periods that were available. Uh, he would have taken either one of those and had the, his first choice not been available. He would have taken the second choice, but now was, you know, blocked out of the process through Saturday, Sunday, Monday, thinking because it was there and supposed to be processed on a real-time basis that he's done what he needed to do to trade vacation. And by the time that this thing was processed on, on Monday, uh, someone had made a choice for his second choice of vacation. So he doesn't get to have either one. Um, that manual off-grid nonsense process that they're running totally screwed this guy. 
Um, Long-term disability. Uh, I just want to walk through some of this. Uh, like I said, almost every day now I'm getting a call um, from some of our pilots who are most in need, right? Uh, people who are out on, on disability because they have, you know, cancer diagnoses and, um, you know, are sick, right? Um, you don't leave these people behind. You don't abandon them. And you don't pull the rug out from under them so that they don't have money uh, when they're in a time of need. Right? It's wrong. It is morally and ethically wrong. Uh, the language is pretty straightforward here. I just want to read it because uh, clearly uh, some of the folks in the pilot group don't know that we have these benefits um, or how to get these benefits, right? So um, long-term disability, the LTD benefit shall be subject to a 90-day elimination period from the onset of the disability. Okay, so um, you get uh, hurt, uh, injured, uh, have an illness, uh, and there's your there's your disability, right? So you have 90 days um, of an elimination period, right? Um, and during that time period, uh, you're you're waiting for your LTD benefits to kick in, um, possibly using uh, other benefits not required to but can. Uh, for the first 24 months that LTD benefits are payable, uh, a pilot shall be, so that's after the elimination period, right? A pilot shall be considered totally disabled under the plan if, due to illness or injury, uh, such pilot is unable to perform the duties of his occupation as a pilot or is unable to maintain the FAA medical certificate required for his permanent position. And what we're seeing is guys are being denied uh, their long-term disability benefits, um, you know, because they, they're now better in awaiting their medical, right? So you, you get better, you seek your medical, and there's a gap right there. Every, every single person who's ever gone on long-term disability who successfully uh, beats whatever is, is, you know, harming them uh, at some point is better. Right. But you're not going to get a medical instantaneously. Right. That's why we have language that is different than maybe other occupations. Right. Um, and uh, here the bar. Right. Is unable to maintain the FAA medical certificate. Right. So uh, for some reason or another, you lose your medical certificate because of that injury. And uh, what's happening is the uh, company's vendor, MetLife. Um, is telling these pilots that they are not eligible for long-term disability benefits, right? Uh, I've seen this uh, in the past with Blue Cross Blue Shield, Unum, and uh, MetLife, uh, ironically, um, right? And what happens is the HR departments buy a, an insurance plan that covers all of the um, regular employees on property uh, they're not well enough tuned into the contract, which they ignore, and uh, so they don't buy the right kind of insurance to cover them, and then the pilot gets denied the benefits, right? And then the company needs to go back and tell uh, the insurer that that pilot is, is eligible, right, and to properly insure them, and the company is hiding behind uh, the vendor and saying that it's the vendor's fault, Right. Um, reality is uh, somewhere in there, uh, the company's not meeting its obligation to this contract and pulling the rug out from under the most vulnerable people in our work group. Um, this is totally unacceptable, ridiculous. Uh, yeah, 
Um, notice there's a difference between uh, own occupation and any occupation. This is very, very common um, with long-term disability benefits, okay? Um, and uh, simply, you know, that, that first 24 months when you're on long-term disability benefits, can you perform uh, your job, right? Uh, and really, you're supposed to be using that 24 months, right? If, if whatever is ailing you in such a way is going to stretch out past that 24 months um, and you're going to be able to work, you need to use that 24 months and the benefits that you're getting um, as meager as they may be to retrain for another occupation, right? Um, if you reach the 24-month mark and you can't uh, do any work because you're completely uh, and totally uh, disabled, right? Uh, at that point, uh, you continue uh, to have these long-term disability benefits, right? So after the 24 months of LTD benefits, a pilot uh, shall be considered totally disabled if he cannot perform any occupation for which he is suited based upon his age, disability, education, training, and experience. Uh, such totally disabled pilots will be eligible to receive the LTD benefits until the pilot reaches age 65 and until no longer totally disabled. Um, right, so uh, here again, uh, just this morning, I have a pilot who um, has significant issues, has the same issues as he did two years ago, um, completed his MRI and is still uh, disabled and is indeed fully disabled and they have stopped paying him as well. Um, uh, Right. Hiding behind the vendor and saying it's not you. Um, uh, everyone should put the, the test to that line. Uh, all right. Uh, so here we are um, into the Q&A. Right? You can see and feel that uh, uh, we're a little, little stirred up by some of the, um, you know, really unfortunate choices that are being made um, and very aggressive choices that are being made. Uh, to this pilot group. Um, questions, comments, concerns, uh, obviously we can dig into PBS stuff. We can dig into um, deeper insurance questions if you guys have that stuff. Uh, anything at all, uh, happy to hear from everyone. All right, got a raised hand with Elvin. What's going on, man? Hey, how's it going? Good. Good. Hey, thanks for uh, doing this. Uh, clarification on the uh, crew meals for offline deadheads. Are we entitled to um, reimbursement and a submission for, for that uh, if we do offline deadheads? Yeah, the language is based on the duty day, so continue to submit the issue forms. Okay, so it, it, does it matter if it's all offline deadheads or part offline deadheads? Alvin, I, I got I, I to gotta kind of... Um, uh, Answer the way I did. Okay, very well. Pick Thanks up, so much. Pick, yeah, pick up what I'm laying down. Okay, thank you. Yep. All right. Uh, anyone else? Questions, comments, concerns? Yeah, Elvin, you, you're... Have at it, man. You can ask as many as you want. No one's going to care. Uh, well, I, I yeah. wanted to yield the floor, but that's fine. Uh, is there anything being done with, quote, unquote, reserve coverage restrictions? It seems like it's just a blanket 
all days of the month are reserve coverage restricted. Yeah, I think they are. Um, I think the company has set a bar uh, that is so high that all um, drops are being automatically not approved by that system, right? Um, we did not negotiate for, nor do we own a threshold. Um, I can give you a little insight on, you know, maybe what I think the value of that is, right? Uh, by all means, if the pilot group wants to go out and, you know, use their negotiating leverage to um, to buy a threshold, uh, we can go buy a threshold. But um, I, going way back into the way back machine, you know, 15 years ago at Masaba, we had this issue, right? Uh, trip drops were just patently being denied. They'd have 40 people on reserve. You know, why, why not drop it? Because uh, the company saves the pay, right? That's, uh, say you want to drop something, right? Uh, you're going to give up your pay for it. They're just going to sign it to a reserve that they're already paying anyways, who's under guarantee. So why not drop it, right? Um, uh, it it's purely makes sense at that point, right? Um, what's being done here is, you know, really broad strokes where they're just denying things uh, because they put some threshold in there that they don't even know. Uh, I've asked a few questions poking around the edges of this, and they literally don't know what that threshold is, um, or at least state that they don't know what it is. And going back to the you know, Masaba era where, uh, you know, the pilot group wanted us to go out and procure a threshold, right? So we built that whole kind of red-green system inside of um, Sabre uh, or FlickUp. And um, it was a really significant negotiating objective. We spent a lot, a lot of time and a lot of leverage to achieve it. And the way that it worked was, you know, if you had... Uh, if you had asked for 10 people uh, on reserve on the 10th of the month and you had 10 or better, right? If you had 11, your trip would automatically get approved. It showed as uh, staff to 11. Uh, it showed as a, a green on that date. Uh, the date itself showed green on the calendar. And um, the first guy that tried to drop a trip that started on that date would get his trip dropped. Uh, then it would, you know, revert back to 10 and go red. Um, what we saw is that you would have guys go in and drop their entire schedules on the first day of the month. Um, and the entire system would go red. And then there would be no more drops for the entirety of the rest of the month. Um, so it ended up not working as well, I think, as everyone had hoped. And it didn't... Um, certainly didn't solve the overall problem of um, you know, the schedule flexibility that people were looking for to, to make drops. I would say along with that, that a couple other tools might be more effective. Uh, one is partials, right? So uh, you got a trip that comes back through Minneapolis, um, and this is the, the classic penalty turn, right? Uh, the, the Boston turn that's tacked onto the end of the four-day, and you're a commuter, and you know, your, your trip could be done at two if the Boston turn wasn't there to offset the midday and the rig. Um, and, you know, in other 
at other companies, you can drop partials, right? Part of a trip. So, um, you know, you come back through Minneapolis, you can drop uh, drop that Boston turn and you're done at two o'clock in the afternoon. That's the juice that the commuters are, I think, looking for there. Um, so partials is one of those. Uh, bad day, worst day is kind of a different twist on the threshold. So bad day is a, you know, staffing's um, bad on the 10th, right? We, we were in the red, we only have 10 guys. We asked for uh, 10 and, you know, it looks like we're going to be down to, a couple of sick calls in the morning, so we're down to eight, right? But on the 20th of the month, right, there's this this other trip out there that you would like to trade for, and staffing is like, you know, negative 12. Terrible, right? Um, and they got, you know, probably 15 trips stacked up, up, up on that day that start. So the staffing on the 20th is way worse than it is on the 10th. Yeah, it's bad on the 10th, but, you know, Rob Peter to pay Paul and uh, you get to trade out your trip on the 10th for that, uh, that other trip on the 20th, um, that makes some sense, right? Because you're going to get a bad day, worst day, right? Um, that one works pretty well. Uh, another one that, that's, you know, uh, kind of ubiquitous across the entire industry is uh, straight up vertical trade, right? Um, I want to, I have a trip on the 10th, 11th, 12th. There's this other trip on the 10th and 11th, 12th that's more commutable for me, is easier for me to work, uh, has more credit, uh, whatever it is, right? I want to work that other trip instead of this trip. It's a vertical trade. It's on the same days. There's no reason to not approve it. Um, that one's pretty straightforward. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of other constructs out there to use other than uh, just a reserve threshold. The reserve threshold is um, uh, not... Not the best way of doing it. Copy that. So uh, if I understand, understand it correctly, uh, the union is in process of trying to improve it, uh, not just basically on reserve coverage restrictions, but on, you know, uh, partials and, and whatnot. That That is in the works then? Um, yeah. I mean, as is every other item that would improve quality of life for a pilot, right? Um, okay. Yeah. I, I mean... We're well aware of what the tools are and what the toolbox is and how to manipulate things. And we got a good creative group that does a whole lot of different stuff that isn't done in the rest of the industry, whether that's long trips or um, deadhead deviation, right? Uh, we're, we're inventing things that aren't in the toolbox, right? And uh, putting them in the toolbox for other companies to uh, uh, plagiarize, right? Um, we are, in a, in a sense, the tip of the sphere in that way, right, uh, for the industry. And, um, yeah, anything that's good for pilots, we're, we're pro-pilot, right, and want to make sure that those things propagate and do well. Um, to say that it's uh, underway, um, yeah, I mean, have we said to the company you should do these things? Yes, all the way back in Portland, right? Um, and we've been talking about it ever since. And there is um, now, rather than interest-based bargaining, right, where you go, hey, you should do these things because they make sense. Vertical trades, right, keeps commuters happy. The ability to drop a partial uh, has everything to do with commuting and keeping a commuter happy. Um, right, companies should do these things because it keeps your employee group happy. They say, oh, your interests on your quality of life? Um, yeah, mm, 
Your interests aren't our interests. We don't share the same interests. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Uh, anyone else? Questions, comments, concerns? Um, and certainly, Zillin, if you want to add some, I see you're on here, you can add some color to that conversation about um, you know, quality of life and interest-based bargaining. Uh, yeah, Sean, yeah, that, yeah it, it's it's true. It's it's uh, that's been the approach we've taken for years is try to do interest-based bargaining, but that seems to have evaporated. You know, um, it's really kind of uh, it was difficult during the twenty twenty contract negotiations, and it uh, is really decreased. That you know, trying to do stuff that helps both sides trying to meet in the middle type of stuff is, is just really odd uh, right now. So, yeah, I mean, I mean, we have a whole laundry a, list, like you alluded to a whole laundry list of things that we'd like to do that I think would be good for the pilots and not hurt the company. And there's some things that we think would help the company uh, as well, but it's, I mean, yeah, you gotta have a dance partner. At this point, I think we're at like, Hey, let's just do things without the company so that it stays in business and, yeah. you know, like upgrades, I mean, truly the upgrade problem is an existential threat. Um, this company needs to make upgrades, right? And where our interest is, is in, hey, you know, if they have upgrades, they can grow, make more money. And then, you know, two years from now, we're back in a marketing cycle and we can take some of it. But we can't take any of it if they don't get their shit together. So, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's a super effective strategy to mitigate and marginalize, right? Uh, right up until the point where it's hurting you and you're pilot constrained and you can't grow. And you can go into straight up denial there and go, no, 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 it's going to be fine. I'm still making 50 million a quarter and, you know, I'm not getting fired. But uh, reality is um, it's catching up. All right. Um, Sean uh, Anderson, uh, go ahead. You have the floor. Hey, Eric. Uh, yeah, I'm just wondering. I, I think I missed the last kind of PBS update. I'm just wondering what the overview is on that and where we stand today with it. And then the other, is there any hope that some of that new software coming in could mitigate some of the swap trouble and all that sort of stuff? Um, so where PBS is at, uh, it's... Uh, the LOA is ratified. There's a 127-page LOA. It should be in Comply 365. Uh, feel free to go dig through that thing. Try to not get too anchored on, um, say, some of the stuff that's in there. Call up uh, myself, Pavlish. Um, you know, we'll get get clear on what those things are. Uh, and the reason I say that is just give give Pavlish a little bit of time to work up you know, uh, PowerPoints and uh, some presentations for these Tuesdays at two, and we'll start uh, rolling through that thing, right? Um, it, it just, uh, there's a lot there, and we haven't had time to start building uh, kind of uh, pilot outreach and education on it. Um, so 127-page LOA, there's an implementation LOA uh, additional to that. And I think it's really, really important um, to mention this because there's like, I, I don't know how many bidding parameters, right? Uh, 400 bidding parameters or something, right? 
And all of those bidding parameters are in the NavBlue manual, um, which is you know a 500-page document. Um, we we should find a way of getting that manual posted so you guys can dig into the the bidding parameters themselves. Um, the only place that you'll see that in the other way is one simple short little sentence that says um, all of the bidding parameters uh, in NavBlue uh, shall be offered, uh, you know, to the Sun Country Pilot Group. Um, that seems really benign and not like not that big of a deal. Um, but honestly, the number of bidding parameters and the ability to use any and all of them is a really, really significant deal. This used to be kind of a, the center of a PBS negotiation was was based on what bidding parameters you would get. And you'd have to kind of, you know, buy each one, one by one. And uh, smartly, uh, Zillin uh, uh, set that raft free long, long ago. And um, after that, there wasn't much to clear up except for ALV and HLV. Um, you know, truly, I think we could have done this whole thing in about 30 days and, um, had there been better understanding on the other side to work with, but, um, yeah, just know that there's, um, all the bidding parameters are included and we'll, we'll start working on, uh, uh some pilot education on the other way itself. Um, now the question about, you know, does, does this new software, uh, do anything to improve uh, probably commuter quality life? No, um, it, it is. It's a PBS system. Uh, it doesn't do open time ads. It doesn't do drops. It doesn't do uh, trades and swaps or uh, anything of the sort. That's um, that's done by eCrew uh, or possibly by a different product by you know. Um, uh, Lufthansa has a fairly good one. The one that's kind of ubiquitous across the industry is Sabre and CrewWeb, and uh, their their bidding product called Flicka. Uh, Flicka is what almost everybody uses. Um, that's where the that red green conversation that I just had with Alvin comes from. Uh, it is what almost every company uses, um, but we're uh, we're using the hobbled. Uh, uh, Eco product, yeah. So no, um, and the and it wouldn't uh, the the kind of um, uh, swap drops, open time, all that stuff. Uh, I, I understand Eco is you know abhorrent, um, totally hobbled, and that the company's poured tens of millions of dollars in it. Um, yeah, probably five times what it would have cost to just buy Saber, um, and that you know when we frankly. When we were negotiating the 21 contract, we copied and pasted language out of other contracts um, specifically to create uh, a path to buying the Sabre products because everything that we have um, in terms of scheduling, swapping, dropping uh, is, you know, first out, last out, word of assignment, it, it just the entire reserve system is something that you could have bought off the shelf from Sabre and, you know, put on this property without having to go through, you know, hiring Oliver Wyman to the tune of $5 million and then pouring 10 or $15 million or something into, into keeping eCrew 
uh, alive and reprogrammed. Um, yeah, would have been a really easy implementation process. We did that intentionally and uh, people chose a different path. Is there any hope to, like, I know that's like the now blue software, just even anything that you could migrate to that software that would further automate, you know, any of that process. I know that's not really the, I know that's really not what it does, but I just, I feel like the e-crew is pausing the, I mean, basically a, the swaps and the trades come down to just manual emails because that e-crew is so worthless. Just wondering if there's any hope of migrating some of that out of e-crew and or yeah, if there's swaps and trades being done through email, that's all sub rosa um, and off grid and non contractual. And if that stuff is happening, um, the rest of the pilot group should uh, be absolutely incensed about that because um, eCrew or uh, whatever the the vendor is, right, um, is not working to begin with. Um, but what we bargained for was transparency. Right. And that transparency isn't there if people are making backroom deals through eCrew or through our email. Yeah, I guess I'm a little off the grid because I've been in the you know training department in the sim. So, and all that stuff is just pure manual. You know, eCrew is completely worthless for that. So I'm not exactly sure what goes on, you know, for the normal just line pilot. But uh, it, it just feels like back when I was on res and trying to get things swapped first of all obviously the reserve ads are, aren't happening anymore but it just it, it just nothing will work like the reserve coverage all that like the whole thing is just worthless in my mind but yeah it is we've been um you know uh slowly working our way through over the last you know four to six months and the arbitrations to kind of start putting a circle around that stuff um yeah. so uh you know the arbitrations have been notification, order of assignment, um, open time ads, uh, FOLO, uh, reserve assignment log, right? Uh, so one by one, we're picking away at creating the box, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I, <laughs> eCrew doesn't work for the people who operate it, and it doesn't work as a customer service uh, tool for the people who use it as the end user. Um, the people who operated in crew scheduling hate it. Um, and, and I mean, truly, it's incredibly cumbersome for them. Um, and for us, I mean, it just doesn't work. It, it's a totally non-primetime product um, akin to something built by a teenager in Excel. Yeah. Is there any chance of... Is there any chance of getting over to Flicka or Saber or anything like that? Probably not. We're so far down the road of this e-crew mess, but. You know, um, what is it? Two LEC meetings ago, maybe one ago, um, we had uh, Greg and Jude in, right? And they got into that little bickering match about, you know, continuing with e-crew or not continuing with e-crew. And I got to say, I'm, I'm right there with Greg. Dump that thing, shove it off the boat, mm -hmm. sink it to the bottom of the sea before it hobbles you, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, there's clearly, you know, some toxicity there in the uh, management ranks about what, what's going on with that program. Yeah. Yeah. It, the, the part that is really, really bad, and, and nobody talks about it because there's no line of sight to it, is 
all of the data inside of ECRU is extremely myopic, which is to say it's like looking through a telescope, right? Um, Because you can only see that little part that that they will allow you to see in the way they will allow you to see it. Um, so it's, it's really hard. Like we get into this conversation about, uh, the reserve assignment log, right? And you're supposed to get, uh, transparency out of that, you know, what trips were assigned and, uh, who's on reserve and then, you know, what, what their status is with credit and how many days remaining and all that stuff. And they can't get, uh, aims, uh, ECRU to make a single report from two sets of data, right? Um, I mean, yeah. can they do it? Yes. Are they obligated to do it? Yes. Um, and, and create one single report that's published three times a day until they get to a real-time system? Yeah, they're, they're completely obligated to that. Um, what we heard in terms of their defense is that they just can't possibly make a single report out of the data. Uh, reality is, right, we just simply asked, you know, their IT guy, uh, can you get it in a CSV format, right? Uh, oh, yeah, it'll, it'll print out a CSV format. Huh, interesting. So you could take, I don't know, like the employee number and cross-reference it between the two reports and create a single Excel spreadsheet reliably without error, right? And the guy's yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah, you could do that. Yeah, yeah just it feels like implementing all this stuff would just be so more much more streamlined if we could get out of the e-crew stuff but anyway that's all be. i had appreciate your time eric yeah yeah you bet I, I mean some of that may even be strategic from the standpoint that um uh there was no intention to implement anyways and then um Right. It starts to erode the contract and then it makes a bunch of work for us. And then you beat us through budget. Right. That's the that's the strategy. Mm, Okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah, you bet. All right. Anyone else? Andrew, go ahead. Get the floor. Yeah, you said the. PBS LOA was available and uh, complied. I hadn't found it yet. Um, if it's not posted in there, it should be shortly. There's a little bit of a process that goes through. Okay. Good. All right. I was just wondering. You want me to put Thanks. these little lights up? Um, you're breaking up pretty bad. Just speak up for me. No. Uh, anyone else? Questions, comments? Do we measure and do our Christmas stuff? I, I think your uh, your line's still open there. Um, I'd ha- I'd be happy to plan out Christmas with you, man. Come over, you can have some hams, cranberries. All right. Um, anyone else? All right. Hey, Aiden, how you doing? Hey, good. How are you doing? Good, good. Hey, um, I correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I believe for the midterm cycle, it's the union gets four items to ne- to negotiate, and the company gets four items. Um, is there any indication? And, and I understand if this can't be 
discuss, but uh, what four items the company is looking to negotiate on or what their hot topics are? Well, they keep saying they want to do, um, what is it, uh, increased uh, reserve days off, increased uh, reserve guarantee of like 85 hours or something, and then um, uh, they want to do reserve ads. And if they want to do those things, by all means, they should do them. Strategically, a uh, terrible idea for them because this is to be cost neutral and we'll go seek offsets for that. Um, I think that they perceived that if they stirred that pot, they would force the pilot group into um, forcing the MEC to do that, right? And then expose, you know, higher dollar items like your health care or, um, you know, positive space commuting or something, right? Uh, that deviation, they call it, um, to uh, a loss, right? And... We've been pretty actively getting in front of the pilot group and talking about why um, that would be a problem strategically, right? Uh, just hear this loud and clear. We are all for uh, reserve ads um, if done in a way you know, that doesn't hurt uh, the senior pilots who lived an entire career here um, not being able to add, right? With the expectation that those op earnings opportunities would come with seniority. And there's ways to do that that don't harm them. Um, and and truly, I mean, there's a lot of logic to making a reserve senior, right? Um, including for the company, which would be to decrease the cost of, uh, you know, all the block, right? Um, and put the senior guys and make the most amount of money on reserve and have them enjoy not working very much and picking up a couple of trips now and again. Um, but uh, reality is uh, the way that that, that negotiation is set up. It's not like section six, right? Where you, you open stuff up and have an equal exchange of value. There's an arbitrated backstop there. And any value that you put into the pot um, that gives the other side, you know, uh, opportunity to seek a quid with an arbitrator who may or may not uh, see the world the way you do. Um, so strategically, right, uh, important to understand um, uh, what kind of knife fight we're getting into and understand um, just exactly why it might be to our advantage to not put a ton of value into the negotiation. I'd love to see a fix for upgrades. Um, absolutely need it. The company is saying that those increases to reserve uh, would solve their upgrade problem. Um, I think we heard pretty clearly from the pilot group that uh, you know, a pre-bid with uh, longer trips, not just 12s, but uh, five, sixes, eights, uh, is the kind of thing that commuters are looking for to upgrade. And that uh, having a, something akin to a, a four-day trip length limit is the thing that the other 80% of the pilot group, right, the locals, are looking for uh, to know that it's safe to get in the water in an upgrade. Uh, they just don't want to be exposed to long trips, just like the commuters don't want to be exposed to a bunch of twos and threes. Um, so, um, that's kind of the lay of the land getting into the midterm conversation and go take the survey, by the way, cause there's a bunch of questions in there about, uh, about all of this. Got it. Okay. Uh, yep. That, uh, that helps. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone else, any follow-up on midterms or anybody want to get into a conversation about cats, whatever that is. 
Uh, Tom Bourne. I think that's you there. Yeah, Eric, it's me, Tom Bourne. Yeah, hey. Uh, hey, I, uh, I'm out camping in southern Georgia, so it might have came out. But uh, is there uh, – I haven't seen any lake for the uh, survey. Yeah, and I saw your dart come through, and I'm really surprised because I, I went back after your dart came through, and I looked in the Aero system, which is kind of the internal ALPA database, um, and the email address that we have for your personal email account matches what was in your dart. And um, I guess I'm I'm wondering if it went to like a spam folder or something in there. Yeah, I was looking at my junk folder and all that too, and I haven't seen it yet, so. Um, I'll keep looking and, uh, yeah, if you send it again or whatever, I'd, I'd appreciate that. Yeah. And I think then, they, they did blast them again. To say, yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. Hey, then, Tom, um, they're going to be sending out a reminder. So you may get another link, but okay. send, a, send an email to EFA surveys at org and let them know that you didn't get the link that they're the ones that are handling the support for it. So e EFA. Okay. EFA surveys at alpa.org. I mean, they should be able to build a hook you up. Okay. That sounds good. And then, you know, we're talking about these crew meals and stuff. And I talked to Brian years ago about this, but I'm celiac. So none of these meals I can eat. And, uh, I mean, I haven't been doing it lately, but uh, I could. You know, I, I could grieve every freaking meal. <laughs> uh, I talked to Todd when he was uh, chief pilot on it, and he was like, well, it's just too complicated. We can't do it. But, uh, you know, it, you know, it's, it's a disease. It's nothing I can help. And, yeah, I, I don't get any meals. I mean, I, it's no big deal to me, but uh, as far as as far as this whole uh, fight over crew meals goes, you know, they, they make zero accommodations for anybody with any kind of disability. Um, yeah, or religious yeah. needs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah I've, I've jumped seated on American where the guy got his kosher meal, you know. <laughs> yeah. Planning about it, and I'm like, hey, man, I like salmon, I'll eat it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and I think it's, you know, I think the industry needs to kind of wake up a little bit, right? There's been a lot of social change over the last decade and um, just a realization that having a need that's different from the norm is um, not acceptable to ignore, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. And then, uh, hey, if anybody, uh, I don't, it doesn't look like anybody's going to be laying over on the uh, 23rd in Lakeland for uh, Thanksgiving. But if anybody is in Lakeland on uh, the 23rd for Thanksgiving, uh, I'll be cooking a turkey. So just get in touch with me and let me know. Right on. That's a great invite. All right. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Eric. Yep. Yep. You're Thanks, back. Uh, Scott, I see you got your hands up. Uh, go ahead. You got the floor. Hey, thanks. I just had a quick question about um, your upcoming uh, midterm um, bargaining stuff. I, I took the survey, and one, is the pilot group going to hear the, the results of the survey before, after at all no. coming up? 
No, that, That'd be my you, first question. No, because second it, that, that's like taking out a billboard um, to display what you want to the other side. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's fine. Um, I'm just curious. It, if, but, you know, just yeah, you, your curiosity. If you want to, if you want to know, give me a call and we'll have a talk. But okay. the, it, it's a negotiating survey, right? So, um, the the data that's in there is important to understanding uh, what the pilot group wants, right? Some of those questions are there so that the negotiating committee can point to them in the negotiations and say, listen, company, you're not meeting the needs of your pilots, right? Uh, some of them are there to make sure that we're on point uh, with the pilot group in terms of, you know, what we want uh, as a group is getting forwarded, right? In that, uh, you know, the the needs and wants of this pilot group are are seen, right? Um, that said, uh, understand the significant amount of outreach that goes on with this MEC, right? Between um, the darts, uh, the darts, uh, darts are by far the best, um, uh, let's say, data creator for pilot desire that I've ever seen. Um, it's really, really easy to stay in touch with where the pilot group is at through darts. Um, there's an enormous amount of time spent on the phone talking to people too. I, I do really respect uh, almost everyone who calls says, Hey man, I understand you guys are really busy. I don't want to suck up your time, but, um, you know, I, I, I feel compelled or I need to talk to you about this thing. Right. Um, everyone gets as much time as they need. Um, and, and, and truly, I do appreciate people using the system because the amount of stuff that we are able to see and understand about this pilot group is vastly, vastly better than it was in a pre-dark world, um, wildly better. Um, along with that, uh, you know, the survey um, is a, a great way to just reach out, make sure that, uh, that we're on point, right? Um, that said... Uh, I know that you guys don't see all that. You're not as in touch with where the rest of the pilot group is at. Um, uh, but that is uh, in no uncertain terms what our job is, right? Um, everyone who is involved in this union from uh, the scheduling committee to safety to um, uh, negotiating committee and MEC, uh, our job is to hear you, right? That, that's what we do. That's awesome. Um, thank you. And I might take you up on that. Um, and then sec second question is in the survey, you have an option for FedEx style travel bank for commuters. Yeah. Yeah, I sure. think I know what that means, but could you explain that for not only myself, but other commuters? Because I've brought this up before with other pilots and they're like, what's that? So there might not be some knowledge on what that actually is so yeah you explain totally. that maybe from um so just a, like a simple uh you know um that thing is a bit of a juggernaut it's about 68 pages long um so i'm going to say it is in as small of a nutshell as you possibly can um what that system is right is um i'm going to start here because it's a <laughs> It's an overly complex way of doing positive space commuting, okay? Um, you can do positive space commuting where the company just buys you a ticket and you get on any flight and off you go, right? Um, you can do deadhead deviation 
which is positive space commuting for management groups that can't get all the way to saying that they do positive space commuting, but it's exactly the same thing. Um, and then you have the FedEx Travel Bank, which is super duper smart, but way over complicated. Okay. Um, so we have in this industry the ability to jump seat, right? Um, and we can kind of look at flight loads to some degree, like on, you know, on our airline, it's pretty easy. The other airlines that are inside of ID90, relatively-ish, kind of, you know, not so great, but there. Um, and then, you know, being able to see what the Delta loads are require you calling up your friend who works at Delta, right? Um, what the FedEx guys do is they kind of make a choice, right? So they have... Um, they're going to get booked for their American flight position themselves, right? Like most cargo operators. Um, and they're going to fly, you know, from home. They live in Rochester, right? And they're going to come up to Minneapolis. They're going to get on an American flight and fly to Miami where they start their trip. The cost of that American flight is $800, right? And they can make some decisions about, you know, Am I going to try and jump seat, save that $800 and put it into my funny money travel bank, right? Or uh, jump seat, right? This is great for FedEx because, um, you know, they're, they're not on the hook for the $800, right? Uh, yeah, the guy might need it um, and it might need that positive space because the loads are bad and burns his, his $800. Bucks. Or he might bank it, right? So that when he gets stuck in Honolulu on vacation and needs to buy a ticket for $4,700, um, he's got plenty of money at his FedEx travel bank and he just buys himself the positive space ticket and off he goes, right? Um, there's a few more things that go into that, right? It's 68 pages long. Um, and, you know, it, it deals with uh, uh, hotels and limousines and, uh, and a few other things like that that probably need to get dealt with as well. Um, but that's it in a nutshell, right? So it's kind of a hobbled positive space of sorts. Um, and it allows, and here, this is the key, right? It allows the company to put the cost control in the desire to drive costs down into the pilot's hands because the pilot will make decisions like, I'm not going to use that that real $800 to get me to work. I'm going to put it in funny money that nobody ever spends uh, into this bank. Right? Um, pretty smart stuff because it, it drives down their their travel costs significantly. Um, this company has a huge line item for travel costs, right? Uh, that's ever growing, and they're trying to beat it back by putting us into the Homewood Suites and uh, instead of the Marriott, right? Um, um, truly, uh, uh, that line item keeps going up because uh, ticket prices are higher and, um, you know, they enjoy the revenue that comes with the ticket prices, but they also incur the cost to go with the ticket prices. And, uh, you know, Jude was pretty well aware of that, you know, kind of symbiotic relationship that's going on there. He's not uh, dense to it, but uh, the people who are making choices at the travel desk completely are dense to it. Um, that's where the travel bank would help you. <laughs> Does that clear up some of the questions about travel bank? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for uh, spelling that out. Thank you. Yeah. That's all I have. 
Yeah, travel makes a great idea. I mean, it, it really does decrease costs. Um, it, it's not, you know, the, the right thing for us to ask for is positive space. And frankly, we already have it in the way of debt deviation. So, yeah, right. If you repackage the debt deviation for what it is, which is actually positive space commuting, um, <laughs> then, then you get to put that on the recruiting billboard in you know, our tag instead of we have terminal two parking seems like a better uh, recruiting tool to me than uh, terminal two parking or dead end deviation which means nothing to anybody right but they just couldn't get there they couldn't say it all right um Anything else? Uh, you know, little piece of news. We went through the like the pre-bid concept pretty quick there at the beginning with the news. Um, Zillin slated to meet um, on the second of November. I just so you guys can put a, a date on that. Um, if they get to some sort of resolution, um, and I would expect that to take some time. They're they're pretty anchored, um, but uh, I think. January bid would be the earliest that you would see any kind of return of a pre-bid. Uh, yeah, Elvin, uh, you get your hand up, go ahead. Hey, uh, the slides that you put up on these calls, is there any chance of putting these slides up on a weekly comm of some sort? Uh, that way those that did not get to uh, participate could at, you know, at the very least see the slides. Yeah, we put them on YouTube, Spotify, Podbean, some other stuff I don't even know. They're all over the place. That gives us some demographics as to who is looking at them. So, like, right, we can see the demographic of, you know, 200 hits on the YouTube site in downtown Manhattan, which is, I mean, we don't have any pilots that live there. So I'm going to go with, I don't know, Apollo. Okay, but uh, if we went through that YouTube, we'd essentially be replaying the whole call, correct? That's right. So, so, so what I'm asking is, you know, just putting all the slides in just one document in a comm of some sort. Yeah, I, I don't have the people or the time or the money. Um, we're, we're well extended past what we can do um, uh, and the information's there. Okay, thank you. All right. Anyone else? Hey, Lethard. Hey, how's it going? Good. Good. Hey, sorry, just caught the tail end. I was away today. Um, what's uh? Do we have an update on when this and the others will hit the YouTube channel? Not to not to rattle that cage too hard. Um, I, I really don't. And okay. just understand with that stuff that it, it does take a little bit of production work. Yep. Um, on that note, right, uh, just with both conversations here, Alvin's questions and your questions, um, this is stuff that we do in-house um, with a very meager budget, right? Um, yep. And understand that uh, this stuff extends our 12-hour days into 14-hour days, right? And a lot of that's yes. fallen on Kevin, and Kevin truly um, has um, no other way to put it, but um, uh, very, very significant uh, life stuff going on. 
Um, and, um, yeah, I just, I want to say that just openly and clearly, uh, that, uh, you know, Kevin's gone through some pretty rough losses lately and, um, it's going to take him a little bit to get that stuff going. Got it. Uh, that was not, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, not a big deal. Just was curious what the timing was, but if it's not known, that's fine. Too. Yeah. Um, we'd love to have this stuff turned around right away. Just understand there's, you know, as you well know, right. Uh, right. legal vetting that goes on, right? So uh, everything's got to go through Jody and go through legal and make sure that, uh, you know, they're not, not going to get sued. Right. Um, and from there it, uh, you know, you got to find some time to do some audio processing and stuff and, uh, rip this thing out of whatever format it is that Microsoft makes and probably some kind of proprietary recording and then move that over into, you know, YouTube and all of, uh, their formats, right? So it, it just takes a little bit of time and uh, we're really happy to do it because I think this is a better way of, you know, staying in touch with people um, than, well, what, what used to go on, right? Which was nothing. Um, <laughs> yes. So, yeah, it's it's an improvement even if it comes a little bit later. And um, it truly, uh, there's, no, there's, you know, the Endeavor MEC is doing some of this stuff, but they're doing it all with volunteers um and we just simply don't have that volunteer core um it's easier with a a giant pilot group right um who's got a big budget and looking for a, a trip to get pulled right um that's that's not what's going on here so all right awesome anything else brian anything you want to know specifically dig into some stuff no i'm not going to ask you to repeat anything i i had an obligation and i just i wasn't even sure if the call was still going so i tagged in here real quick but uh unless there's something you'd think i'd want to hear man i don't know i mean you're pretty invested in the whole long trip concept and stuff you know um i think what we'd like to see and what's what's changed over time a little bit right since we put that thing in place was um uh, you know, we were solving for uh, trying to attract people to come here, right? We were trying to fill classes of of 60, which never got there, and the training department never took off. Um, and, you know, we wanted to get cargo guys to come here and needed to provide a, uh, a work product, right? Schedule flexibility that they were looking for. And um, we put it in, you know, trial period, and this is... These trial periods, right, uh, you try to put something out there so that people can try it out, see if they like it, and it wasn't fully borne out, right? It just, we didn't deal with conflict language, um, and truly, the company sees this whole thing as a, a bridge to PBS, and then it dies. And, you know, <laughs> the other thing is, when I'm saying, like, hey, um, we want we want to negotiate over this. What I what I want to see is a healthy negotiating relationship where the two sides get together and talk about what works for them, right? Um, and when the company's version of that is, we'll just send you bullet points. That doesn't work. Uh, it's not a negotiating relationship, right? And nobody's talking about interests, and they're just sending an email. Um, we, as a pilot group, need to put a line in the sand at some point and say, 
when you send us stuff as notes on the back of a napkin, we're not going to, you know, consider that negotiating and not negotiate with you that way, right? Because it undermines the needs and wants of this pilot. And um, yeah, pretty important, right? The the, the demographic also just kind of shifting gears at the the uh, the demographic saying put it back in place. You have no leverage to get something permanent. So, uh, I mean, eat all your cake now, right? Yes. Um, you're not going to have anything later. Um, yeah. That's how this stuff well, works, man. Yeah. You're well aware. Yep. Well, I would rather pursue the correct path and get the right thing when the right way than, than kind of cop something together that isn't the right solution. Oh, totally. Right. And I think what's changed over time, too, is that um, rather than attracting cargo pilots to come and work here, this thing became about, you know, locals making money, um, which is a pretty valid thing. Um, it's also become, you know, a highlighted uh, commuter tool. Right. Um, yet I have commuters who are, who are like, no, that was the worst thing ever. I never want to see them. Right. Um, yep. And then I have guys like you who have religiously bid them because it totally works for what you do. Um, and, you know, overall, over the last, you know, year, year and a half, what's super clear is that it's about schedule flexibility, right? And slowly the rest of the industry has imploded around schedule flexibility. And that's what the, you know, the little kind of Che Guevara revolution that went on over at, uh, at United was about too, right? That, uh, their calling over there, and we called like like everyone, um, was pretty much about schedule flexibility. And they have an upgrade problem, not unlike ours, which was due to schedule flexibility. And they believe that you know the the rules that they put in place after they recalled everybody um, uh, now that is focused on schedule flexibility is going to solve their commuting problems and is going to solve their upgrade problems. And I think we should pay attention to that asterisk and take some notes, right? Well, yeah, I mean, you said that, I think about two, two and a half years ago, you said the first, the first airline that solves correctly for schedule flexibility will run over most of their competition in terms of attracting routine. Oh, that's absolutely right. With, with no doubt. Uh, it's this, right. Um, uh, this airline has, you know, significant opportunities to do some stuff that other airlines can't do because they're, they're locked into these legacy notions of bases, right. Where they, they simply are never going to get there. Uh, because all of their seniority notions are locked up into bases. And, you know, you know our ability you know, our, to do something like these long trip lines and um, having one bidding pool, right, instead of, uh, you know, eight different bidding pools broken up into locations and do positive space commuting um, is we have the ability to do something totally different, right? And they none of these airlines positive space people on other airlines, right? Those are, that's the competition. Why would you give them money? And because of our network, we use them to run ourselves and we are already paying that positive space bill. So 
we should try to advantage ourselves and use that money to recruit people. Um, but instead, it's it's seen through the lens of a pilot grab and uh, you know incremental gains. And frankly, they're already paying the bill through debt deviation anyway. So why not? Um, why not get some juice out of the squeeze? Right. There's a desire there for innovative results, but which require innovative action. That's exactly right. And we are nowhere near innovation. We are moving the opposite direction, which is um, head in the sand, no innovation. Um, everything's seen through the lens of, uh, you know, incremental gains. Anything that we ask for is an incremental gain. I, I literally could say, I'd like to give you $50. No, I won't take it. That's an incremental game. Yep. How, how I gain from that is beyond me and do not understand. Right? But that's, that, that's the strategy. Do nothing, get nothing, absolutely zero um, improvements or negotiation outside of Section 6. We will negotiate with you through the arbitrations. Um, and what we're required to under the RLA and nothing more, right? And that's that message that we heard January of 22, right? First meeting coming back from signing the contract, we're going to do the black and white only. No more. Nothing. That's what they've done, right? They've, they've gotten crosswise in a couple of arbitrations where they had to settle and do stuff. But for the most part, no, nothing. Because right? all gains, any change is a gain, and all gains are for the pilot. Um, and it's kind of crazy. Right? I, I, I'll even hear Jude point blank say we should do experimental stuff that, you know, try some stuff out and, you know, see if it's good. And then his folks can't run, they just can't do it. Well, that's the hardest thing to, to watch is someone two or three levels down the subordinate chain just decide that they aren't going to comply with the directives from the C team. Yeah, and then the C team is pulling in eight different directions too, right? It's not in a good place. And and truly, I mean, we haven't touched on it much on this call other than the, you know, watch out for number one. But um, the training department is still in a really, really bad way. Uh, I'm hearing rumors, and this is just rumors, right, that uh, they are about to get shut down um, because of their training department, uh, possibly rescinding all the type ratings that they've issued, even if you're not at that property anymore, right? So you got a got a 7.3 type rating, and now you work at Omni, um, and they're going to pull your 7.3 type rating because it's invalid because of that training program. And what's happening there um, is uh, like a... Uh, more magnified version of what's happening here, where they have completely non-standard NSLIs who are, um, you know, forging documents and forging training, and then, um, uh, you know, will put people in the sim, uh, put it, you know, down off motion and then leave for three and a half hours and come back and sign the lesson off. Um, truly, what I'm hearing from their line check airmen is that uh, the sims and the check rides are, you know, not not even part of the plan. Uh, it's like a familiarization, and then you get on an OE and learn the whole thing. 
Um, Which airline uh, was this? I missed it. it was uh, Iero Swift. Oh, okay. I, I should have guessed, but yes. In bankruptcy down there, that little that little mess of an operation that Joe Restafor runs, um, and OC is you know negotiating with to harmonize their book cards. Um, so they uh, are talking at least with their their FAA APM, um, you know, training manager for the FAA for that airline. Our inspector, right? Um, considering a full shutdown, um, we look awfully close to that. The people that are close to the training department have been wondering for months why it hasn't happened. Right? Uh, here, right? Yeah. Um, eight year captain uh, two weeks ago on a, a Simphil. Called me up after the Simfo and said, "No one, no one should be exposed to this training department." Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, I was going to save this one to dig into it next week, but you look at the definition in our book of what, um, uh, of what AQP is. Right. And it's like it's a data driven um, uh, training program based on safety data. Right. And we're not doing that. We're running the same scenarios we were running in like 2017. And nothing comes out of FOPA, very little out of ASAP to inform those scenarios. And uh, I think we need to look at, um, you know, filing a grievance on AQP. Uh, to protect all the jobs on this property because we're not running an AQP program. And we as a stakeholder have been cut out of um, any uh, conversation about uh, how you fix this thing. And I'm not seeing a plan. No one's told me, told me what the plan is. I'm supposed to meet with Jude on the 6th. Uh, apparently hear something about a plan. But all I've seen in the past so far is, hey, we have a backlog, so we're going to draw down and shrink, right? And the last time they pulled that, Will and I said, well, if you shrink, you're probably going to end up like Compass, who shrunk and uh, the entire world perceived that they were going out of business, and they balled it up, right? They never, they never did get back from the backside of the power curve. They did go out of business because they shrunk their classes down. Um, this place needs to slow down so it can go faster, right? But it needs to have a plan as it slows down so that um, it has the possibility of succeeding. What I'm not seeing is like a comprehensive conversation with all of the stakeholders involved, the FAA, the APDs, uh, ELPA in management to say, you know, what's the root cause of what is bad here? What's causing the failures? What's causing the uh, non-standardization? What's causing uh, the issues that are facing us? Why can't we grow, right? And then creating the tiger team with the people with the skill sets to go out and fix it and task them with the things that they're going to do then come back together every couple, you know, four or five weeks and talk about what successes they've had. I don't see that at all. So we draw down. We would have been able to handle this. Yeah. In the old NNO world, we would have probably been able to recover from this. Yeah, maybe, maybe so. Right. I mean, that's, that's very piloty to, you know, say, man, you just go back to the last, Last known good uh, condition, right? Let's, it won't let's work try it out because we don't know it anymore. Yeah, we don't know it. 
And and frankly, uh, NNO wasn't exactly great. I mean, you and I spent the beginnings of our careers getting hit in the back of the head with a pencil while someone whistled Calvary when you did a good job. Uh, it was it was abusive. It was hazing, and it certainly wasn't making people safe. Um, you know that stuff was pure fiefdom and made up on the spot, right? And sometimes you get a good experienced instructor who really wanted you to learn. And sometimes you got a guy who was there to make money and annoyed by the fact that you need trained. Yep. And, you know, this is, this is not rocket science, right? The, the FAA said, Hey, that, that old way of training is pretty regressive and you're, you're not actually spending your money on learning anything. So, you know, what you really need to do is start talking about CRMT because that's why people crash planes, right? And build build training that is uh, focused on CRM, TEM, and get people to actually understand um, what is making them unsafe. Use data to train, you know, create scenarios to train what's dangerous out of your pilot group. And we're not doing that. So we don't have an AQP program here. So here's the definition. Right? The advanced qualification program means an FAA-approved program. Uh, for pilot training, which uh, replaces programmed hours with proficiency-based training and evaluation derived from a detailed job task analysis, right? So not, you know, you lost more than 50 feet on the saw, you fail, right? I mean, we have we have guys who are failing MVs under AQP. How do you do that? What, what AQP program do you fail MVs, right? Uh, and they're getting failed because of PTS standards, and um, <laughs> that's that's not how the system works, right? You got to have a one. Uh, yeah. Well, this has crept into the language as well, um, because I'll hear people use phrases like, "Yeah, well, uh, that person failed MT three, yeah. and and it's a perception that everything is evaluation. It's just whether it's evaluation or jeopardy evaluation. It's just uh, it's a question of how much jeopardy." Yeah, notice what's missing is the training, right? Uh, yes, pre precisely. Uh, that that language, um, you know, along with, you know, rumors of the, uh, you know, non-seniority list instructors um, saying our procedures aren't any good. Yeah, right. Not not their place to judge, right? You're hired to get standard to the Sun Country procedures and train them. Um, what whatever your personal fiefdom is from Delta is. Uh, Completely irrelevant, and, and go away. Like, yeah, right. Kind of like I'm here to teach you this really dumb way to do it, but just between you and me, this is how you should be doing it. Yeah, I mean, I don't work at Delta because I think their thinking is flawed. So, right. Um, so that doesn't give guys a lot of confidence going into the the sim, kind of being told, "Ah, this way of doing it is really, really pretty bad." Well, right, and that's what's happening is they're they're getting trained to all of these, you know, deltaisms, and they show up in the in the eval and the standardized sun country stuff that people are looking to see isn't there. It's like being gaslit or something. Yeah, exactly like being gaslit. Yeah, so I mean, you keep reading this definition, right? Evaluation derived from a detailed job task analysis, which includes Crew resource management, right? Like that's that's kind of important to this game, right? That starts with the briefings and 
um, making sure that there's open communication between the left and the right seat and uh, the rest of the crew, right? Um, yeah, this isn't CRM-based training. Um, that's why the briefings are so important, right? Because they're not just an annoyance, right? But that's where the two people get to talk about how they work through their problems, right? Um, and we're still seeing stuff like, you know, don't, don't, uh, don't help him. Right. Yeah. That would tempt me to ask is now, is that what you want me to do out on the line too? CRM? It'd be best if it matched, right? Yeah. (laughs) Don't help him, Uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. And then you get the last sentence, right? Uh, AQP incorporates data driven quality control processes for validating and maintaining the effectiveness of curriculum content. Where's that part? Yeah, closing closing the loop on on results and then you know feeding back into the system. Yeah, that's 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 the last and tough piece for a lot of a lot of organizations. Yeah, we struggle I mean, there. This how this is supposed to work, right? And I've I've seen it. Growing from a seed, right? You take FOQA data because you can identify uh, where you're statistically dangerous. You incorporate that stuff into like a CQA, right? You try to train it. Then you come back for CQB nine or 12 months later and you test it again to see if, you know, there's change in behavior, right? Have you trained out the thing that was making you dangerous, right? Um, FOQA says uh, unstable approaches are the uh, single uh, largest problem we have. The FOQA guys are saying that uh, unstable approaches are increasing in this pilot group at an alarming rate. Um, And they're alone on an island screaming to get someone to do something about it. while we run the same scenario since 2017. Sure. Well, even even under the old system, they would periodically address things like that with, uh, you know, the sort of the setup to put you into the unstable approach to see if you detect the signs of it. And that that would imply that that's what needs to be in the spot, doesn't it? Yeah. Or first look or something. Yeah, yeah. Spot first look. This stuff's great, right? Get a chance to do some stuff you wouldn't do because you'd be in a Jeopardy ride all the time under an Uber. Training, not checking. Well, I didn't mean to take too much of your time, but thanks for bringing me up to speed. I'm sorry, late for the call. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it's a it's a good conversation, and it's um, you know, uh, the training thing is it's. A big problem, right? And uh, yeah, you know, I, w- I want to train everybody on the contract and work through the grievance processes and provide that transparency. But it, it's hard to dig into the the problems that are going on on the training front. Um, yeah, it just it needs a conversation with all the stakeholders and a, an honest to god plan, uh, not marginalization and obscuration. All right. Anyone else? Um, certainly happy to stay and answer some more questions. We are coming up on the two-hour mark. Uh, if there's nothing more, I think it's probably about time to wrap it up. 
All right. For that, uh, we'll talk next week. Thanks, everyone, for joining. 